When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the Fed's fight not over? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Dr. Sri Kumar, president and founder of Sri Kumar Global Strategies. Hi there. How are you? Good to be back with you, Maggie. How are you? Oh, well, we're so happy to have you back. There's so much going on in the world of central banks and macroeconomics right now, and a lot of market action. So we're just closing the U.S. session. We saw mixed action with stocks, but really... Um, all of the activity uh, and movement is in the bond market. It is a, we saw a big move up in yields. Um, I think I saw a headline that it's the worst week for bonds this year. Um, we had some economic data out, services IMS still expanding, albeit at a slower pace. We have a big jobs number tomorrow. What, have you, what do you make when you look across what we're seeing uh, you know, in the markets and the macro landscapes, Ray? I think starting with uh, the macro part, clearly the economy is a lot stronger than had been anticipated for this time of the cycle, Maggie. But I just don't believe the statement that there is going to be no recession. And I'm not a person who believes in immaculate disinflation as if it happens without any pain at all. After we have had so much of an expansion of monetary and fiscal measures, we have to pay the price. And I think that is going to get done. Where is the signal coming from? I believe the bond market. I'm a big believer in treasuries. The fact that the yield curve has been inverted for such a long period of time is an important signal for me. By comparison with that, look, go back, look at the Great Recession which began in December of 2007, two months prior. In October of 2007, the S&P 500 reached a record high. So it just shows that the bond market is a better predictor than the equity market, and it is still screaming recession in my view, Maggie. Interesting. I I think that Andreas uh, shares some concern watching what's happening in the bond market again, um, you know, we've been talking to him. He's been doing some academy sessions on our platform. Um, but he also, in steno signals, really sort of zeroed in on those signals. Let's play a clip from that, and then we'll talk on the other side. The true signal is the uninversion of the yield curve, the steepening of the yield curve again. And we see very, very early signs of that re-steepening. Um, here we have the history of the spread between 10- and 2-year bonds in the U.S., and uh, all of the light blue bars represent um, historical recessions. 
And as you can see, the spread between 10 and two years tends to pick up uh, amidst the recession or even just prior to a recession, uh, as for example, in 2007. So we need to watch that signal now uh, because this whole discussion of a rebound relative to a recession will likely be um, showcased or defined by this trend in the yield curve early in the discussion. Uh, and we've seen clear tendencies towards a steeper yield curve over the past week. These are early days, but this is the signal I'm watching now. I have my eyes glued on this spread uh, because if this re-steepening of the yield curve continues, I think it's a really bad sign. It's another great episode of Steno Signals, and Andreas always, you know, delivers actionables and how he's thinking about putting his macro into action, which we love about that show. If you want to see the whole program, uh, it's on the platform. If you're not a member, scan the QR code. Uh, so, Sri, it's interesting. I want to bring this point up. You you just said it a moment ago, but it might be worth expanding on, Joe. Uh, in the chat just said, bond market's still behaving differently from equities. We're not that far from all-time highs on the S&P. And in fact, we saw a downdraft yesterday. I was a little surprised to see, you know, uh, the stock market kind of trying to make a comeback. NASDAQ, I think, was almost positive a minute ago. Now it did close lower in the red. Um, but down a tenth, these are not, this is no by no means panic selling in the stock market. What do you make? How do you address the fact that we have such different um, sort of vibes between bonds and stocks? They're behaving so differently. I think what has happened is there has been so much of liquidity created in the early part of the cycle, 2021, 2022, and the fiscal uh, stimulus that came from the Biden program at the beginning of his administration some of that, according to Federal Reserve calculations, those excess savings are still in the hands of consumers. That is clearly helping on the equity side. Second, the economy remains strong because of the fact that the equity market is putting some money into the pockets of uh, investors. And that spending remains quite vibrant. And then on the employment side, once again, going back to the fiscal stimulus, the amount of it which went to the employees essentially made it so that they didn't have to go look for a job elsewhere. The quit rate has remained very high. All of this says to me that in terms of being a labor market, it is very different from what we had had in the past. All of these explain the fact that even after a year, 16 months of monetary tightening, you still have a very strong equity market. But the treasury market typically goes beyond that. And when it sees a recession, it projects it with an inversion. And recall that the inversion began in the two to 10 year in July of 2022 at the beginning of the month. So we are more than one year into the inversion. And so that's what I think is giving you a signal which is very different from the equity side of it, Maggie. Yeah, and we also, you know, we've had earnings some people were worried ahead of time, but some of them have been good, certainly company by company, but we have Amazon just reporting numbers after the bell. The stock's up 5%, 5.8%. 
in in uh, after hour trade right now. Now you have to wait for the conference call. And sometimes the comparisons, the estimate seems way off. So I'm not really sure what happened there. We'll have to dig into that. But um, you know, some of some of the earnings have been coming out and supporting this. So it's been hard for stock investors to know what to do, even though people feel like it's getting overextended. You've missed some rallies if you sat out. Exactly. Yeah, you missed some rallies, so you're staying in it. But now that bond yields have risen and you've had yields are up right across the curve, equities are feeling the pain because you don't have to be in equities to get a decent return. You don't have to be in it to get a decent after inflation return. So I think fixed income market is now increasingly competing with the equity market, and that's not good for equities. That's a great point. What do you expect from the jobs number tomorrow? I'm looking for it. I, I don't differ from consensus there. I'm still looking for about 190,000 to 200,000 jobs. Uh, that would be very close to the 209,000 that we created the month before. We have to see if that figure is going to get revised or not. Uh, but the more important thing for me is what happens to average hourly earnings. I'm still expecting that figure will come out at more than 4% year on year, maybe 4.1, 4.2% increase. And that, Maggie, is just inconsistent with getting to a 2% inflation rate, which is why I think going back to the title that you gave to the presentation, the Fed has a lot more work to do. Yeah. Uh, do you, Before we sort of get into the Fed dilemma, productivity. Was, was strong today. A lot of economists like that were pointing that out. Does that help when you're looking at the strength of the economy and the potential inflationary impulses? Productivity increase, provided it is sustained, can be helpful because productivity is the obverse of the labor cost. So when productivity increases, you can afford to give your workers more wages because they are producing more widgets per hour, and therefore they deserve a higher wage without leading to inflation. But look at what has happened. Yes, one quarter on an annualized basis, the quarter to quarter figure was very high. But we had five quarters of declines in productivity, mm. and the latest quarter, the second quarter, was up only 1.3% compared with a year earlier. So when you put it all together, it looks to me so far more like a dead cat bounce rather than say that you are having a genuine pickup in productivity. I'd like to see some more before saying that productivity has really turned around, given the fact that you had five quarters negative on the productivity side quarter after quarter. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, that's a great point. You need to see a trend, right? One month does not make a trend. Exactly. That's what they always like to say. So uh, 
Colin, by the way, uh, in the chat, thank you, Colin, giving us updates and Amazon's giving strong future guidance for Q3, which is going to help. Sri, Jim Bianco yesterday made the point that higher rates are going to be tough for stocks. Maybe if you X out like the Magnificent Seven, you know, which Amazon would seem to be defying that right now. Um, But those really big mega caps, the NVIDIAs, the Amazons, the Apples, but for the rest of the stock market, higher rates are going to be a problem. Do you agree with that, that we need to look at the broader market, maybe the broader S&P 500, even the Russell, to look at the impact of higher rates? You should look at the broader market and you're uh, spot on. I think the broader market is more susceptible to higher interest rates than a few companies which may have special advantages Mm. and where investors don't care what the interest rate is. That's one. Second is, do you get a uh, do you borrow money in order to make the investment? Are you uh, in t- borrow, uh, investing in equities on margin because you think equities can go only one way and that is up? And if that turns and there are margin calls, it is going to accelerate the decline in equities if that follows. So those are the two concerns concerns you must have on the broader equity market compared with the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, great point. Uh, has the Fed lost control of the situation? The Fed, I think, lost control of the situation three years ago, and they've been trying desperately to crawl their way back. They lost it when they doubled the balance sheet from 2020, early 2020 to early 2022, a balance sheet which was then at $4.5 trillion, and they raised it to almost $9 trillion two years later. I don't see any reason, COVID or no COVID, for them to have done that. They kept the interest rate so low. That's when they lost the market. Since then, they have increased the interest rate substantially by five and a quarter percentage points. And some clients say to me, don't you think that is a very tough central bank? I say, no, it isn't. When you take into account, not over the last 16 months, when you look at the last three years, it is not a tough central bank at all. They are just atoning for extreme laxity before. That's why I think you have messages from Jerome Powell, which are contradictory one meeting to the other. He said one thing at the June 14th conference after the Federal Open Markets Committee decision to pause. And about two weeks later, he was in Europe talking at the European Central Bank Forum and he turned out very hawkish in the company of Christine Lagarde and Andrew Bailey, the ECB and Bank of England heads, because they were very hawkish. So Fed has also lost it because it does not have a consistent message. At one point, of course, mandatorily, every meeting, uh, the chairman begins by talking about how uh, he feels for the problems of middle and lower class people. I call it the mandatory tears that with which you have to start every meeting, and then you can do whatever you want. So that's where I think there is a real concern that the Fed has lost its mandate, and therefore it has lost its way. Mm. We're, we're going to get to the global implications in a moment, but if the, if the strength from the economy is coming from the fiscal side, which you mentioned, and, and our very observant guests have been talking about since last week, since the market actually had the realization itself, 
um, we've had you know, analysts and, and strategists after strategists come on and start to warn about being worried about that, a no landing, if you will. If it's coming from that side, does the Fed have the tools to rein it in? Can they do anything if the stim if it's the fiscal stimulus that's driving, not monetary? Uh, the fiscal and monetary are again both are two arms working together. And if you have excess fiscal stimulus, again, go back to early 2021. The Biden administration had just come into office and they introduced a very large fiscal program. When that happened, if you have a repeat of that situation, the monetary policy has to be tighter. Mm. Instead, that was also lax. So today, and especially as you go into the election season, fiscal policy is going to get more lax. The president seems to be determined to allow the students to delay repaying uh, loan payments. And he's going to find a way that he can do it despite the decision by courts not to allow that. So when you put that together with where we are, the monetary policy has to be more careful. But that's not what you see. You saw a pause in June, and very likely we are going to a pause on September 20th at the next decision. So it seems to me that the, that the monetary policy is acting on its own. And recall what happens when journalists ask Powell the question every time, what do you think about fiscal policy? And the answer he gives is, I deal with monetary policy. Mm. I cannot comment on fiscal policy. That makes no sense to me. There, you have to take into account fiscal policy. And if you are independent, as they supposedly say about the Federal Reserve mandate, you should feel independent enough to criticize the fiscal policy when it interferes with your monetary policy making. If fiscal policy is also helping determine interest rates, then monetary policy should not only adjust to it, but should also criticize the problems that he has. And that's, I think, lacking in the monetary policy as it's being implemented today. So where do you think uh, it's very interesting, and Christopher, your message made me laugh, but Christopher pointing out that Bill Ackman went public that he's shorting bonds. Warren Buffett says he's still buying them. Granted, they probably have very different time frames that they're operating on. Where, what do you think happens to the 10-year? How high could 10-year treasuries go, given the fact that the Fed is still behind the curve, the economy looks stronger than anyone expected, inflation remains a risk? What are we looking at for a 10-year treasury? Look at a little bit of past history. October of last year, the 10-year reached a peak of 3.23, 3.23%. And then, uh, I'm sorry, 4.23, just over 4%. And I had been saying repeatedly the neighborhood of 4% is going to be the ceiling. And so when I was asked about 4.23, I said, well, we have gone a bit over but that's not going to be sustained. And sure enough, we came down to about the 350 range. I still feel the same way. Today, we are at 318, 319, uh, 418, 419 on the 10-year. You could hit 425, but I don't think there is enough strength in order to push the yield further. Why? Because I don't think the economy is strong enough to push the yield up. Inflation has been coming down, even though it's above Fed target. 
That does not argue for higher 10-year Treasury yield mm. either. When you put it all together, I would expect we are close to the peak of the 10-year yield. Let's look at one other factor, and that is with the Fed having increased interest rates by five and a quarter percent, and at the same time having resumed quantitative tightening. Quantitative tightening was set aside in March and April as a result of the regional banking crisis. The assets of the Federal Reserve shot up in March, but they have since started to go down again. They are tightening again. When you do that, all of that is going to cause something to break in the system. And whether it is another banking crisis, whether it's a commercial real estate issue that really blows up, or there is a credit crunch, I see something happening by the end of the year. If that happens, Maggie, you're talking about the 10-year yield plummeting after that. It doesn't stay so high as it is today, which is why I'm still very bullish on the high-grade fixed-income market. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So it's because you think the Fed is going to break something. It's not that 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 is the the difference between I'm guessing that view aligns a little bit with what Raul has been thinking, although we're going to have to get an update from him on that. So let's talk about what's happening abroad. We had the BOE hiking rates again today, too. Uh, What is the outlook there? There have been some pretty things look resilient here, which is putting the Fed in a bit of a pickle. But in the UK, we've seen some, I mean, a housing figure, a third of UK homes prices are falling. You've, You've seen some pretty weak data there. What's the situation in the UK? You said it right. Uh, The UK situation is much more dire than what you have in the United States. They have significant amount of food inflation, much more so than we have here. They have energy inflation. Wage costs are again uh, substantially uh, rising at a very fast rate. All of that explains the fact that UK inflation rate is still beyond control Uh, in contrast to what is happening on the other side of the English Channel, that you have in continental Europe, you have inflation rate, which has come down quite sharply. And they are dealing more with the likelihood of a recession, whereas the UK is dealing with extremely high inflation rate. One other reason, which is hardly ever mentioned in terms of looking at the UK, is is the Brexit decision. The decision to get out of a common market exchange and freely flowing goods and services across. And once you don't have that and you isolate yourself for political reasons, which is what I think the previous prime minister, Boris Johnson, got achieved, you're going to pay the price in terms of higher inflation. So it's going to be a very difficult situation. Current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, is going to face elections coming up at the end of next year, beginning of 2025. And he's going to go into elections with probably very high uh, inflation rate. And here is one other thing about housing that you referred to, Maggie. Because of, again, the the big problem that they had last September, October, with the mortgage rates exploding, with uh, a short-term policy, incomprehensible policy of short-term Prime Minister Liz Truss, Mm. you had the uh, 
bond yields rise and they haven't come back to the pre-crisis level yet. And if you are a homeowner and you're going to be renegotiating your mortgage, you're going to find that the uh, yield, you, that the interest rate you have to pay is substantially higher than where it was, let's say, last summer. That's also going to be an inflation problem. It's going to be also a problem on the political side. And those are the things which are still yet to be taken into account. So UK, I think, is in it for, for the long haul. If I were prime minister or if I had the ability to do anything about it, I would say, mia culpa, I made a big mistake. We shouldn't have got out of Brexit. And we need to get into the common relationship again. But of course, politically, that's impossible. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, one can only imagine the reaction of the Europeans after all this. Uh, so we've got tough, really tough sledding in the UK, uh, recessionary outlook for the ECB. What about the Bank of Japan? Um, we can't forget about that because they've tweaked yield their yield curve control, but but been intervening to try to manage the the move. How do you how do you see that going? Again, we have had two stages so far. Before the previous uh, governor of the Bank of Japan left his office, after being in office for ten years, he tweaked it instead of following it by just going to uh, plus or minus twenty five basis points so that the 10-year bond yield would vary between minus 25 and plus 25, he said the range was going to be 50 basis points. And of course, promptly, the 10-year yield went to plus 50 basis points as a result of the move. And thereafter, when it became clear that the new governor, Mr. Ueda, was not going to take any step to give up on yield curve control, as it is known, uh, the the yield actually went down to about 30, 35 basis points. But every time they do that, Maggie, they are spending a huge amount of money supporting the bond yield or the bond price. And that's the reason why it's an unviable policy. Mm. They, it was even discussed in the case of the United States as to whether yield curve uh, control could be practiced as a way of getting the US economy to grow more rapidly meaning you fix the yield at a certain level and you buy and sell bonds to fix it there. We tried it in the United States in the 1940s and it was dropped in 1952 at the start of the Korea, during the Korean War. Yes, the fiscal deficit went out of control, the interest rates were very high and the US Treasury and the Federal Reserve came to an agreement they could not support it anymore, they gave up and that 10-year yield just shot up after that. Yeah. Now, Japan is in a similar situation. Their inflation has come back. Even the core inflation rate is well over 3%. That is not consistent with having a 10-year yield of plus half percent. So what are they going to do? I think they are going to give up very gradually. And my guess is if I were to put a time on it, end of this year by the time at which the 10-year yield goes to 1%. But that ought to be of concern to U.S. and European investors because U.S. and European investors are big purchasers of JGBs or Japan government bonds, and Japan is the largest creditor nation in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So if that happens, I have made my own back-of-the-envelope calculations 
that we can have the 10-year yield rise by 25 basis points if and when the Bank of Japan completely gives up on yield curve control. So this is a this is a an outlook here where we have the potential for upward pressure coming from different directions on U.S. rates. And Artemis and Christopher are both asking, uh, with long rates now above their March highs, won't the regional banking crisis return in some form? Do you think this will trigger more regional bank failures that then trigger rate cuts? Aramis, not Artemis, Aramis, excuse me. Uh, the answer to Aramis is I would agree. Uh, what um, Aramis is saying is exactly what I've been saying for a while. That the, I, Before the banking crisis, I said that it's going to be a credit event of some kind. I didn't know it was going to be the banking crisis, but it turned out to be. Now that that has happened, the same factors that existed then, namely that they have $500 billion of assets underwater, according to the FDIC at the end of March, and whether they keep it in the trading portfolio or the long-term portfolio, a loss is a loss. It, to me, it doesn't matter what the accounting rule tells you. So when they have $500 billion underwater, and if the 10-year yield increases further, and recall that in 2021, they believed Jerome Powell in believing that inflation was going to be transitory. That means the 10-year yield will come down. So if I buy uh, 10-year bonds at 1.5%, it's going to come down to 1%. And I'm going to make a lot of money with the capital gain. That was the expectation. Of course, Mr. Powell was wrong. And these people, but he walked away from the problem. But the regional banks did not have the ability to walk away from it. But going back to Adam's question, that problem persists today. You have even higher bond yields, and the banks are still in a weakened situation. And despite the fact that Secretary Yellen and Chairman Powell keep repeating that the U.S. banking system is very sound, uh, I don't think uh, it is at all, in, other than the statements that they keep repeating time and time again. The problem is there. The regional banking crisis could well come back. And the question is when it comes back and how it manifests itself. So, Sri, when we look out here, it sounds like short term, uh, there's trouble because the Fed's not in control of the situation. It has more work to do. Th that would presumably spell bad news for bonds and stocks. How do you see that playing out short term before we get to your longer term idea that the recession will hit, something will break, and you'll see the Fed have to ease? Uh, by the way, there's something breaking and reception, uh, recession happening is also relatively short term, meaning I put oh, it you out in the- you see that the, in, sooner. In the next, if you allow me to say that six months is a short term, Mm -hmm. And I would say in six months, if you do, okay, let's see what happens to equities versus bonds. If you do have a credit event, the credit event typically is going to be negative for equities because it's going to suggest an increased probability of a recession and therefore equities are going to be hit under those circumstances. A credit event is going to be very positive for treasuries. That's going to bring the yields down. It's going to bring the inflation down. If you have a credit crunch and if you cannot get a loan to buy, the mortgages are scarce and you cannot buy a home, they are all going to lead to less demand 
and therefore to lower inflation and lower bond yields. Mm. So if that were to happen, the equities and bonds move in two different directions in terms of where they go. And uh, again, a repeat of the banking crisis is one way the crisis can manifest itself. Another way is the credit crunch I talked about. And third, something we just made reference to, the commercial real estate market, particularly the office space. I see time and time again, anecdotally, office, office buildings which are being sold at 40, 50% of the valuation they had as recently as 2019. Mm. So three years later, four years later, we are going for half the price of where they were before. This is in large cities such as San Francisco, New York. And that, again, is going to increase if the interest rates continue to rise because the people who own the real estate find that they, are they have to pay a higher interest rate. And at the same time, the rents are going to be under pressure because people cannot pay the rent that they want in order to make up for the higher cost. Right now, the regional banks are suffering a hit on the equity prices rather than a deposit outflow again, like in March but it could quickly reverse and you could once again have a deposit outflow rather than just a hit on equity prices. Fascinating stuff. A lot of, a lot of clouds on the horizon, I think it's safe to say. Sri, it's so wonderful to catch up with you. Thank you so much. We always enjoy talking to you and there's a lot to look at around the globe right now. So it was great to have you on. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you, Maggie, as always. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks everyone for the great questions and also the updates on both Apple, which is down just a little bit, even though I think they beat slightly, and um, Amazon, which is on fire, up 7.5% after hours. Thanks, everybody. Reminder, we will be here tomorrow for Summer Friday edition. We're going to roll back to the regular time when we get past Labor Day, but for right now, we're going to be here at 1 p.m. Eastern, so we hope you can join us then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.